What's going on out there, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to episode 229 of the Alamo Audible Podcast, brought to you by the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Republic of Football Podcast Network. This is your host, Jared Kalmus, joined by my coach, Age Bermudez, and we are here to recap probably UTSA's best performance of the year. Big win over the FAU Owls. We'll also get into a preview of the ECU Pirates. Adrian, how are you feeling, man? It was great. Great watching the game with you in person this weekend. That was a great experience. A big shout out to Cyrus Smith, guest of the pod, uh, who was also there in person, FAU super fan and alumnus. And yeah, we had to have a whole old school underdog dynasty for the for the longtime podcast listeners and followers of Jared and myself. Watch party. That was really, really cool. Uh, did enjoy sitting there and watching the complete domination of UTSA firing on all cylinders for the second week in a row. But I would agree with you, Jared, in, in even more convincing and more impressive fashion this week than they did against UAB. We saw the complete game in all three phases versus UAB, but this one was even more so against Florida Atlantic. Um, you know, still fantastic in all three phases of the game, but even sharper to that degree. Uh, you hold Florida Atlantic to only three total points of offense, only 162 total yards, just an, an outstanding defensive showing from this unit, uh, just playing a hell of a lot more tough, a lot more intense, a lot more inspired football we've seen over these last couple of weeks. And I guess, and, and this is probably a little bit too zoomed out to start out with Jared, but it's just so night and day difference from what we saw in the back half of September from this defense to now the last two games and, and really the whole team altogether, offense and defense from September to October, really playing differently. I mean, I don't know what happened over the bye week. I don't know if it was just health related, but it feels like also something clicked philosophically, mentally, spiritually for this team alongside getting back to physical health or mm -hmm. mental health towards football seems to be in a much better place. I don't know. I don't know. Is that fair? Yeah, I don't know what happened between the walls, right? But I think you definitely see, obviously the health is evident on the field. Adrian Taylor is the guy that I'm pointing to is the one who's to me looks the most different from an athleticism standpoint compared to earlier in the year, just the way that he's like flying around the football field. It just feels really different. And having that um, speed sideline to sideline on, on the defense, I think has a, a big effect on, on all positions and the overall level play. And then on the offense, you know, they finally found a starting five and they've stuck with that same starting five for um, two or three games in a row now. So I think there's also that chemistry aspect of it. Uh, there's also the, you know, burgeoning connection uh, between Frank Harris and Devin McEwen. That's really starting to turn into something special. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's a lot of factors, but I think you're right. There's definitely a psychological impact um, or I, I, I guess a psychological psychological effect is probably the better way to describe it. Uh, but I, I would suspect that a lot of it is rooted in those things that we're seeing on the field that come from uh, the health and the continuity of players week by week. The snowballing effect, right? And you're yeah, having a, yeah. your your best guys out there in their best shape, and you get one good play that turns into two, three, ten, twenty mm -hmm. good plays, mm -hmm. and then you have four full quarters of shutdown football. Uh, call it what it is, just incredible stuff from from UTSA. But Jared, I, yeah, I think this was this was the best defensive performance that we've seen from this group. I mean, they played outstanding against UAB, Hold but up. only. Three points allowed from FAU's offense. FAU averaged 22 yards per possession. That's 
all they were averaging per drive uh, on offense. 56 points last week. It's outrageous. From 56 points of offense to three. That's wild. I'm going to take it a step further. I think this might have been the best defensive performance of the entire Jeff Trailer era in San Antonio. Wow. They threw, they threw a shutout against Lamar in 2021. Uh, but that Lamar team was as bad as I've ever seen a, a UTSA opponent. They fired their coach. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, really, really ugly. Uh, but this FAU offense, they're good, man. They're maybe not maybe not capital G good, but they're good. And UTSA just dominate them. I mean, they, they look like a Power 5 team playing a G5 team. It's the first time I've ever felt like UTSA had more talent and more depth than FAU. And, and that's new as of what I think the last time they played is in 2021, 2020. I don't know. But this is a team that's been more talented than UTSA for a really long time. And it did not look like that at all on Saturday. I'd even echo more talent and more depth. Also, what we saw against UAB, it, it this was right. the first time that it looked like UTSA is on a higher echelon than their conference peers than what is considered the the better part, the better teams in their conference. I mean, usually whenever we get into these matchups with the upper echelon conference peers, it's a, it's a back and forth. UTSA has mm-hmm. got to pull it out in the last five minutes of the game, fourth quarter, really exciting. You don't know it's the last team with the ball is going to win the game, but these last two weeks, I guess opponents that we would expect that fourth quarter shootout to come down to, UTSA just in a different weight class entirely mismatch you could call it uh I mean really really Molly Watt UAB and FAU respectively and just it didn't look like uh those teams could run with UTSA on the field didn't Mm -hmm. look like they belonged on the field with them so when you call it the best defensive performance of the trailer area is that because of how good you expected FAU to be on offense? Or was it something particular that the defense did or a way that they looked, the way that they were playing that that gives you that sentiment? Well, both really. I mean, I think like the performance um, compared to expectations is, is what makes me say that. But to get into some of the things that I saw that really impressed me, mm-hmm. first and foremost, the defensive line just dominated the game. They were the best unit on either side of the football for both teams. Um I mean, they they had FAU's offensive line on skates, and that that is not UAB's offensive line that was rebuilt from scratch over the offseason. You know that that was not um, a unit that was searching for answers. Like they they've had the same starters all year, as far as I know. They're healthy. All those guys are returning starters, and UTSA just made them look like absolute chumps. They were playing in the backfield. There were a couple of plays where they drove the entire offensive line two yards off the line of scrimmage and just physically humiliated them. Right. Um, super impressed with that. And and they rotated a lot, like always. So there were a lot of guys that, um, you know, they're at the bottom of the depth chart and they went in there and made huge plays. You know, Nick Booker Brown popped off. Um, Ty Leonard had a sack, had a great play. Uh, so just great rotation. You really see that depth start to come through. Um, and that impressed me a lot. But then also the ability to generate turnovers. Right. Mm. Um, both of those came because of that pressure that the defensive line was able to get uh, the edge players as well. Got a pick from Nick Troy fortune, yeah. super athletic play, got a lucky bounce, bobbled pass comes around to his chest, but his ability to put his toe, tap his toe down within the boundary 
That was impressive. And, it you was know, extremely I, impressive, man. It was extremely impressive. That was a big heads up reaction play, but also very athletic. Yeah. Play. And it he is. he's not had a great season compared to mm-hmm. last year. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it certainly has felt like he slid back a little bit. And I'm hoping that play will kind of um, re-energize him and he gets back to playing the way that we've seen him play where he was really a shutdown corner. So that was really cool. Um, and then the other turnover was Owen Peewee getting like this sky high interception. The ball just floating, you know, 30 feet in the air. Felt yeah, like it was, that was tipped at the line of scrimmage or, yeah, or yeah, left yeah. the so, hands wrong. Yeah. So Trumaine Bell in his pass rush against the left tackle actually pushed the left tackle into Daniel Richardson, the quarterback for FAU. Uh-huh. And that's why the ball went. That's and, right. You know, Owen Peewee almost had another turnover as well because he came in on a sack in the first quarter and he was like inches away from a strip sack. I mean, his hand was was right there. So we're really seeing the light start to come off for Owen Peewee, which is really exciting. Well, six sacks last week for this UTSA defense against UAB. Five sacks this week against Florida Atlantic. I thought they had six. Was it six? I thought so. I'm counting five. No, you're five. I got five. 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 So we had six on UAB, five on Florida Atlantic. Three turnovers against UAB, two turnovers against Florida Atlantic by way of the two interceptions. Uh, I mean, really just a, a defensive clinic, man, a defensive clinic, but blowing up the backfield. Now, three weeks in a row, we have seen the opposing AAC quarterback just getting completely smothered, even when this with the sacks that don't show up on the stat sheet. So yeah. those balls that get released, but that quarterback is still getting plummeted as the mm-hmm. ball is leaving his hands. Um, EJ Warner had to miss the following week after getting really you know, battered and abused by UTSA's defensive line. Although I think they only had one uh, box score sack again in the Temple game. Um, I think I think it was zero. So remember after in our Temple recap, I was like, people that didn't watch the game are criticizing UTSA's pass rush because they didn't get a sack on EJ Warner. But the truth was they had 19 pressures. Mm. They also had 19 pressure against, against Daniel Richardson at FAU and came away with five sacks. Um, Sack avoidance is a very underrated trait for a quarterback. Big difference between H.A. Warner and Daniel Richardson. Yeah. Yeah. And and Jacob Zeno was really taking it. He was taking sacks Mm -hmm. and he was getting those ones that he avoided. He was getting pummeled on too. So, I mean, you're really seeing the line of scrimmage. He missed this this past game for UAB. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So you're seeing line of scrimmage dominance from UTSA's front seven. It's just really, really filthy stuff, man. I mean, we talk about it all the time, but obviously on that topic, you got to give props to Trey Moore from the very first snap on defense. He just sprinted right past the left tackle for FAU. And I, I you know, we were trying to be polite because Cyrus was there with us, but I think both of us knew this is about to be a blowout. <laughs> <laughs> At that moment, you With knew. just how easily he got passed. And, you yeah. know, obviously he looked super healthy after tweaking his ankle against Tennessee, I think it was. Uh, or no, I think he actually he got hurt against Army first. But um, man, Trey special. Uh, every week I see him using his pass rush, right? So he's developing his technique uh, alongside his physical skills. Jamori Robinson playing great football as well. Yes, great combination with him and Moore when they're on the field together on those third down packages. It's um, they they really terrorize quarterbacks. And, and we saw Ronald Triplett have a great pass rush and get a sack later in the game as well. So um, cool to see. And it's also nuts to think that they're missing what was going to be, you know, in my expectation, one of the best pass rushers on the team. And then now you and, and Yawamu 
uh, man, I feel like I still don't have the pronunciation done yet. Um, but you know, he got a sack early in the year before he uh, tore an ACL and was mm-hmm. out for the year. So you can only imagine how much better the pass rush would be uh, if he was also in the mix. So uh, really impressive unit, man. Yeah. Salty stuff, man. And and they're big losses in the backfield coming by way of UTSA sacks. Ronald Triplett sack for a six yard loss. Joe Evans sack for an eight yard loss. And then Ty Leonard bull rushing up getting a sack for an 11 yard loss later in the game. Really, really defensive dominance from that front seven, man. Uh, yeah, they seem the, to be firing on all cylinders. The Joe Evans uh, sack was a safety as well. The safety. We got that a safety, was, Jared. That one was kind of funny because they snapped the ball in like the eight yard line and took a sack. Yeah. Very strange. It, usually if you see that, it's like an intentional grounding in the end zone. And, and that is called a safety. Pretty rare to see an eight-yard sack if you start on the eight-yard line, but I'll take it. Uh, Adrian, off topic a little bit, but uh, I think in the game book, it was like the stats they put out after each game, you know? Yeah. They said that this was like the sixth sack that UTSA has generated in program history. I don't know about you, but I thought that number was like way too high. Like I couldn't believe it. Safety? Yeah, six, six safety? Six safeties. I was really racking my brain trying to come up with just two or three. Yeah, I can't recall. I mean, I really, really tried it. We were sitting there in your living room yeah. thinking, yeah. when was the last time UTSA got a safety? Everyone that's been around the program for a long time remembers the iconic safety as the first half expired against the University of Arizona right, 2014. But no other ones come to mind, Jared. And I'm assuming maybe they have, maybe a lot of them have it on the road. I can't, I cannot the life of me it, to call one during the first. It's just crazy because a sack is such a memorable play. But like everyone I talked to were like, I, I can't remember any sacks, you know, six, like no way. Get out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is outrageous. Yeah. And and with the defensive line. Right, may, maybe we didn't remember because you made some fire margaritas, by the way. Ooh, baby. Anyone, anyone listening gets a chance to uh, to get an Adrian Rita, definitely go for it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna call those the the Trey Margaritas, because it's gonna put Ooh. you on your ass. <laughs> That's good. Did you just come up with that right now? That's uh, right now, yeah, that was totally off the head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. But when the front seven's firing like that, Jared, all of a sudden, your your secondary plays that much better and you see two interceptions you're seeing passes get broken up Cameron Alexander two passes broken up uh guys are getting in there um with with the backfield getting blown up your cornerbacks your safeties really able to kind of have a field day even whenever you're going up against high caliber receivers in the AAC Mm -hmm. yeah so obviously uh the sacks influences number uh, because for some reason cultural ball tracks sacks is negative rushing yards um, but UTSA held the FAU Owls to 0.7 yards per attempt. Wow. And when you hear that number, you're probably thinking they're stacking the box, but they weren't. They were playing six-man, seven-man boxes, two high safeties, and UTSA's defensive front were still able to just completely shut them down. And like I said earlier, I mean, this is a good offensive line for FAU. These are not not some scrubs they got out there. All these guys are, are three, three-star recruits and They've got some transfers out there. So really impressive stuff, not only for the defensive line that we've already given a lot of credit to, but also thought uh, Avery Morris played a really good game. Jamal Ligon was all over the field. Martavius French made some great plays. 
Um, I saw um, Marcellus Wilkerson has been playing more and more. He was getting the mix and playing run support at safety at that hyper position. Um, obviously, Dadrian. So, I mean, it's just great to see just a high level of commitment to executing. And I think that really helped the secondary a lot. They didn't have that I noticed any major missed assignments. There were some plays where FAU did get open deep. Um, and some of those were, you know, LeJonte Wester, who's one of the fastest receivers in this conference, uh, just running a really long route. And it's like, you know, he, he's going to get open if he has enough time. And when that pressure wasn't there for UTSA, sometimes those guys were getting open. But, you, I mean, you just got to live with those sometimes if you're calling, you know, a man scheme or um, they just scheme it up the right way. You know, it's interesting, man, because uh, in our FAU preview with Cyrus Smith, Cyrus was talking about how the bread and butter for FAU really is to be run first, run heavy on offense, especially with Daniel Richardson at quarterback. You know, he wasn't the starters starting the season. And he mentioned that it's something that offensive coordinator Charlie Fry tends to get away from sometimes is their strong suit running the ball. Larry McCammon only gets 15 attempts on the day and 30 yards total. That's that's two yards per carry for one of the best running backs yeah. in the American Athletic Conference. That's but I'm, impressive. Sh- I'm shocked that he only gets 15 carries as opposed to Daniel Richardson backing up 34 times, dropping back mm-hmm. to throw the ball. And um, it's a it's a bit of a different distribution than I expected, and and f- than I think what would work for FAU ideally. And UTSA wasn't running away with this game the entire time by any means, you know. So I think there was definitely a, a opportunity there for Larry McCammon to go to work and uh, try to get something going. But but they were really relying on Daniel Richardson to go out there and and, and win them this game. It seemed like uh, pretty early right. on they came to that decision. Um, right. And and I, I felt going to the game that if it was going to come down to Richardson's arm to like go win the game for the Owls, I just, I, I didn't see it happening. He's a good yeah. quarterback, but I mean, he, he was not, he was not the starter for them. He wouldn't be the starter for, I think most teams in the AAC. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think once UTSA took a two score lead, I think FAU kind of panicked and abandoned their game plan a little bit. And I think UTSA did a good job taking advantage of that kind of, kind of played into their hand. Took big time advantage of it. Took big time advantage of it. Um, UTSA playing so well, they're able to cover up for a lot of what they're not doing so well. This team is still committing a hell of a lot of penalties. Had eight penalties against Temple, six penalties against UAB, eight penalties against Florida Atlantic last week. You didn't even notice. Couldn't even tell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Couldn't even tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess that's a luxury. That's of what turnovers do for you. That's what turnovers will do for you, man. Yeah, uh, really. I, I do think, though, I thought the tackling was a lot better against FAU. It's improved. And, yeah, and, and the PFF, the PFF grade does back up my my view of it. They they gave a super high tackle grade for Temple, which I don't agree with at all. I thought tackling right. was cool in that game, uh, but this is the first one where I'm like, that was a good tackling performance for UTSA, and Pro Football Focus also gives them a pretty good grade. I think we mentioned it last week that they gave a low score for UAB, which was one of their better tackling performances, and then yeah. a high score for Temple, which one of their poor ones. We thought that they had those mixed around. Right. <laughs> and uh, they did. They improved the tackling against UAB. I thought it was pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then against FAU, it was it was really, really good. It's kind of interesting, though, because those are the two teams that have some of the fastest um, like skill players on 
really the entire schedule other than I guess Tennessee, obviously, but there's some, some real dogs on the, you know, the skill positions for UAB and FAU, but UTSA did just fine against them. Maybe, maybe that's what it is. They can only tackle fast players. A lot of forward momentum, you know, I mean, <laughs> equal force, two equal forces, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. I don't not, know. not as much finesse involved because everyone's just going hard. Um, the first uh, first tackle we've seen from UTSA in quite a while, where it was, it was a real thump. There was like an inside mm-hmm. run, and I think someone made some contact with the running back, like right right at the one of scrimmage. And then Jamal Leggett came in and laid the freaking hammer and had the running back laying flat to the ground midair. That was great to see. And we've also seen so we've seen the tackling significantly get better after the Temple game. We've also seen defensive third down get insanely better since the Temple game. We let Temple convert 60% of their third downs, only 39% for UAB, only 37% for FAU, six for 16 on the day. Um, Shut down performance, man. Not letting them move the chains whenever they need to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of those third downs, there was really no chance either. I mean, it's not like there were a couple, I think FAU dropped a pass I should have had or something like that, but just really, really good performance in defense overall. Mm-hmm. I'll point nice. out, I, I think this is the second week that we've started off praising the defense. It is. It Almost is always when we do a recap episode, we're always talking about the offense first. And I think that uh, subconsciously goes a long way to show, um, I, I, I guess, uh, how well that defense played. If we're going to sit here and talk about it for 22 minutes, right off the jump. And not even talk about Frank Harris or Kevorn Barnes or Robert Henry or any of these guys, you know? These guys are balling out. The defense is doing what they do, man. That triangle, they're getting the hammer out. We are pounding that triangle right away, man. So we had two two triangle pounds with the hammer from the interceptions. And triangle gets to get pounded after a safety, we learned, because the safety is a turnover, Jared. Yeah. So Adrian and I were watching that. I was like, why is he banging on the triangle after a safety? And Adrian found out, well, he gave the ball back after safety. I was like, okay, yeah, that's a great point. That's Bang a great triangle, point. baby. Yep. Triangle has been dormant for too many weeks this season. We're hitting it every single chance we get now. Well, I mean, it's definitely the right call, like in the spirit of the triangle toughness. The definition of the, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it counts as a turnover like in the record books, right? I don't think so, no. Yeah, interesting. UTSA only has two turnovers by way of two interceptions. I would agree with you. Yeah, there's got to be like a team turnover or something that it gets accounted for. Yeah, Yeah. add that to the the box score. Statisticians? Statisticians? Look, we've already got two suggestions for the NCAA statisticians. In the first half of this podcast, stop counting sacks as negative rushing yards. Mm-hmm. And if you have a safety, it's a turnover. Bada bing, bada boom. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, our I agree with you on the Our sacks. consulting fee is, is very reasonable. Okay. This is true. And I know they got the money. But 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 a ball carrier tackle for loss, we still want that to come off of negative rushing yards, right? If it's a handoff, yeah. If it's a handoff, not a sack. Yeah, okay, I agree yeah. with you there. Totally, yeah. totally. So well, offense, Jared, looked a little bit a little bit different. You know, I mean, we're, we've certainly seen the trend go to run the ball where 
and tear. Frank Harris not having to air it out and you know to put the entire team on the on his shoulders mm-hmm. with the likes of Kavorian Barnes, Robert Henry, and this week especially Rocco Griffin seriously getting involved. So Frank Harris drops back to pass on thirty five attempts. UTSA's trio of running backs. 10 from Kavorian Barnes, 10 from Robert Henry, 16 from Rocco Griffin, 36 attempts, even distribution between passing and rushing. Uh, Kavorian Barnes, five and a half yards per carry. Robert Henry, 5.3 yards per carry. Rocco Griffin, 3.3 yards per carry. But I was really surprised to see Rocco Griffin get the loin share of these carries, Jared. 16. I was too. Yeah, it felt like something weird was going on. Uh, like his, he wasn't active last game and, and coach trailer was all hush hush and mom about it. I, I don't know. I thought that there was a violation of team rules or something going on, but <laughs> I guess he was just hurt, but he wasn't that hurt. Cause I mean, his 3.3 yards per carry, it felt like he ran a lot better than that. I wonder if like he had some short runs for a first down that uh, made his average right. go way down. Cause it, it felt like he was running the ball pretty well. Well, and it, what had happened was, I think in that first quarter, he had one or two pretty good gaps. And I think they said, hey, let's just keep giving it to him. He's running the ball well. And right, the it was end. just kind of consistent through all four quarters. Rocco just kept on getting those carries, kept on getting those carries, which we have no qualms about it. He was running the ball extremely well. Uh, all three of those guys ran the ball really, really mm-hmm. well. None of them, you know, popped off a 20-plus yard game. But Kavorian and Rocco each get a 12-yard carry. Robert Henry gets a 15-yard carry. And on, on the 10 attempts, well, put it like this, in the 20 attempts that Kavorian Barnes and Robert Henry combined for, they average five and a half yards per carry. Mm-hmm. Just filthy stuff. Um, and, and, and Rocco Griffin just kind of just being your utility guy against right. FAU getting those getting those 16 and I like it I like the distribution a lot none of our guys are, are none of their legs are getting tired none of them getting too beat up out there you got three big backs that run hard and pretty intimidating to opposing tacklers mm-hmm. yeah man this this is a group that can do a hell of a lot of work for your offense and, and let Frank Harris just pass it whenever he needs to after the run opens up those pass plays and I'll, I'll double down on that praise for the run backs because I don't think the run blocking was that good from the offensive line. Mm-hmm. It was average oh, at best. Okay. Um, yeah. That I think the first touchdown of the game, Frank, there were, there were like back-to-back timeouts. Like FAU called a timeout. UTSA came out with 10 men on the field, called a timeout, <laughs> which that, that was major cringe. Uh, but then they come back after that second timeout, Frank audibles to inside zone. I don't know what he saw. He audible inside zone. Um, and great block. I think uh, Cardinette had a pancake, and then LaPaz kind of sealed it off, got a hand on the linebacker, and then Henry had one guy to beat. He was off to the races. That one really stood out to me, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, it was just like, okay, blocking. It wasn't like UAB where there's these massive holes that, um, you know, any any walk-on running back could have ran through for 20 yards. Um, so I thought, I thought that made the performance of the running back even that more impressive, but I also know that, that offensive line has been playing pretty well. And I think that we're going to get the best of both worlds um, in some of these games down the stretch and, and get some really, really nice chunk yardage in the run game. 
Well, they didn't allow any sacks on Frank Harris. Yeah, pass blocking was fantastic, for sure. Interesting. And maybe that's why we don't see the big 20-yard gash run from any of the running backs is because that massive hole that just kind of automatically gets you to the second level wasn't there. They were kind of fighting their way to the second level, and then by that time, there were already a few more defenders around to bring them down. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, FAU was playing with with two safeties pretty high up in the box um, mm. for most of it, so they pretty much always had a safety there to come down and help and, and make sure that really long run didn't didn't pop off. So, you know, it's, just, it's a mix of things for sure. Yeah, definitely so, definitely so. And uh, Frank Harris um, let his legs loose a little bit as well. You know, he hasn't been scrambling quite as much this season for several reasons, most importantly mm-hmm. the health of his legs. But there were a couple of times where he said, hell, I'm taking it. He saw the opening and he was a little more decisive and yeah. running that ball, getting that first down with it. Yeah, he's still not very fast. He's still not very explosive, but he did look better for sure. Um, there was one play, I, th- I think it was a read option. He got like a nice little six-yard pickup. And, you know, old Frank probably gets 10 yards on it, you know, but I was happy with that. Yeah, uh, That's how we need, you know. Sure. Sure. Yeah. This just offense is in a spot where they don't need Frank to bail the team out with his legs the way he used to in the past. That's a good thing. Yes, absolutely. And, and take advantage of what's put in front of you. And we've seen times Frank Harris have a lot of green grass in front of him, but he'll decide to f- try to find a pass that maybe is not there. Mm-hmm. I like whenever he sees that chunk of field and he just goes and takes it and decides on it. Right. Without any hesitation that's what we like make make the defense pay a price for playing with the lack of respect for the scramble that's right i love that so i you know frank did throw two picks yes but i don't think either of them were his fault he fumbled and that was definitely his fault because he tried to like extend the ball for no reason at all it was like third down and it was like four down territory if i recall correctly Mm -hmm. but i thought both of the passes um I don't know. That first one is kind of iffy. McEwen was open downfield. And then it seemed, I think Frank threw it inside. McEwen is kind of hanging out close to the sideline. And it was an easy pick for the FU defender. Um, so I think that was supposed to be like a skinny post route. Or just didn't like get that. it to the right spot, man. Yeah, he had to get it on yeah. the outside shoulder of McEwen in between the sideline and McEwen. But it was it was it was much further inside than it than it yeah, needed to be, and it, and it kind of felt. Trailer right said in his post game press conference on ESPN Plus that that was a missed assignment by McEwen. And he's mm. like, he's a true freshman. We know who's going to make mistakes, but we're going to ride with them. He said, I've been, I've been recruiting him my whole life. <laughs> you know, so I saw he's that. Yeah. Learn from it. And then I think they went back to him like the next drive, and I think get it like a nice little twenty yard pickup. McEwen was the leading receiver on the day: five receptions, sixty four yards crazy yeah i mean man. i was really high on McEwen coming out of high school i thought he was a, a huge uh huge steal for utsa but never in a million years but i would think he would be the leading receiver for utsa in any game impressive stuff man so five receptions 64 yards for devin McEwen. willie mccoy four receptions 31 yards and a touchdown mm-hmm. Tyke Ogle- Ni- nice route he ran on the touchdown too by the way go back and watch Beautiful. that uh that end zone view my film breakdown Willie McCoy was kind of all over the place, man. Yep. Those four catches that he had, those were all pretty impactful plays. Mm-hmm. Joshua Cephas, of course, the man, seven receptions, 57 yards. Then Tyke Ogle Kellogg gets Frank's uh, deep pass of the day on a beautifully 
uh, reacted to um, offsides by FAU. We see the flag come out, ball gets snapped. I don't think Taiki Ogle Kellogg was uh, scripted to run a fade route into the end zone on that play, but they saw the flag come out for offsides. Frank Harris draws back. Taiki Ogle Kellogg runs a straight line to the house. They toss it up. It's right there to him, 42 yards. Just beautiful heads up, reactionary football, man. Fantastic. Fantastic. I thought the same thing as you and that like that was not the play call. And then he saw the offsides and he went for it. But when I went back and when I went back and watched his shirt looked like he was running the fade all the way. So either it was lucky play call for UTSA or Tyke is just so like so in tune to the whole like offsides throw deep call that he is just immediate for him. And maybe right. that was the case. Right. Um, but well, it, it it wasn't one of the situations where like, oh like I'm starting to run a slant and then oh let me cut up or something like that. Like he went straight for it. He went straight um, for it. Yeah, it, it was it was hilarious. Tyke played sixty snaps, only got one target, and it was an offsides chunk it deep touchdown to Tyke. I mean, that is the story of his career at UTSA, if I've ever heard it. Hilarious, yeah, definitely so, definitely so. I'd be surprised. Well, I mean, and we just haven't seen those fades get called too often. I guess that one, and then the interception well, that Frank threw toward uh, that should have been to McEwen. I guess that also would have been one. But I, I kind of disagree with that. I think they have called a lot, but up until the past like two, three weeks, they haven't had the pass protection to complete those throws. Okay. Well, that, that was like one of my complaints early in the year was that they I thought they were running too many deep throws and they just like didn't have time to get it there. Um why well, actually am talking about specifically these last couple of weeks through conference play mm-hmm. with the running back game looking so much more improved. Does it seem like we've been calling nearly as many sure. deep shots and we haven't had right. to? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, with, with the running game working as well as it has, I think there's there's plenty of room to run more play action deep shots for sure. Whether they're post routes, fade routes, whatever. We got two tight ends getting involved, Oscar Cardenas and Houston Thomas with a couple of catches each, 24 mm-hmm. yards receiving each. And David Amador with a catch. And I think he had a catch last week too. So there's another young guy kind of oh, carving out yeah, a little speak, bit. Speaking of Amador, we didn't talk about the second interception. That was the pick six for Frank. Uh, that was a screen pass that was going to Amador. Yeah. And that was tough. I mean, Ernesto Amaraz, like, did his assignment, and he cut block uh, He cut block that defensive end. You do that to make sure the defensive end keeps their hands down because if they can get their hands up on a screen pass, there's a pretty good chance they can tip the ball. And despite the best efforts of Ernesto, that's exactly what happened. Like he cut him, hands went down. Defensive end made just a freakishly athletic play to jump up, get his hands up and tip it. And the defensive end was already like squared up exactly where the ball came to him. And he was already running in motion towards the end zone, which is like incredible luck. Just a super freakish interception. Uh, But man, Amador was set up for a big gain on that play. Like if you go back and watch, there's so much green grass in front of him. Yeah. I think even even if they didn't get the blocks they needed from the lineman, he probably still gets a, a nice 12, 15 yard, if nothing else. And I've They're, noticed that Jeff Trailer keeps going out of his way to hype up Amador. Yeah. Yeah. He um he threw his name into the conversation whenever they were talking about other receivers. Yeah. Uh other other young receivers, particularly uh, Devin McEwen. Um, he wanted to make sure Amador's name was also in that bunch. Brought it up yeah, in the press. They, they think quite highly of him for sure. Also, spent a lot of time talking about his boy Lucas Dean, 
the thunder from down under the mm -hmm. Australian cyclone punting the ball and uh, going back and looking at the stats. Hot damn. What a day he had uh, four punts. Three of them land inside of the 20, two of them go for over 50 yards. Lucas Dean kind of refining his kicking stride down there um, on those, on those punts. You know, he was uh, having, uh, he had a, he had an iffy game a couple of weeks ago mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, starting to sharpen that up. Really, really good yeah. stuff from the special teams. Yeah, great, great showing from Dean, especially we consider how good FAU has been in the punt return game. Right. Um, I thought that was a, a really underappreciated aspect of UTSA's dominated performances. Um, they were just able to keep the ball out of uh, Lejante Wester's hands, uh, prevent those long punt returns. So uh, really well done from Lucas. He hasn't had a, as good of a year as we're, uh, you know, adjusted to, which makes sense because like he somehow broke two legs. In the offseason, I don't understand how he's punting at all this year. Um, so great to see him have his probably his best performance of the year, if I had to guess. Yeah, really great stuff. Chase Allen continues knocking him down. One from 37, <laughs> one from 34. It's in Florida. You got the sea breeze kicking you in the butt. And um, we got to win. We got to win in Florida. And, uh, man, it feels really, really good to go and win out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the old heads like us don't take him for granted. I mean, there was a point in time, anytime you say it was playing in the Eastern time zone, it was like an auto loss in your head, you know? So um, that's, that's, I'm two, really happy. That is two conference East Coast road trips, Jared, back to back away games, at least. UTSA had to go to Philadelphia in the first week of AAC play. They get the win over Temple. And they had to go to Boca Raton just two weeks later to play FAU and they get the win. Balling on the East Coast. <laughs> Winning in paradise. <laughs> Shout out, Cyrus. Yeah, man. Uh, the only only two road trips left in the regular season. You got one in Denton and then one in New Orleans. So uh, no more than a three-hour flight to both of them. How different is this from the days of every single away game being in the state of Texas? just a couple of years ago, right? And now you're going Philadelphia, uh, Boca Raton, New Orleans. So, yeah, different landscape now. Yeah, but they're through the worst of it. Schedules are going pretty juicy the rest of the year. So that's exciting. This is the thing to talk about. This is the thing to talk about, Jared. Oh, but we have to. We have to get ahead of ourselves, right? I mean, after this win, you know, you get past UAB, you get past an FAU team who, you know, you're thinking was a threat. I mean, UTSA is in the driver's seat to be two possession favorites in every single game for the rest of the season up until you play Tulane in the season finale. I don't know if they'll be a two touchdown favorite against North Texas, but they will certainly be at least a touchdown favorite. Well, two possessions. So all you need is nine sure. points. Sure. I could totally see that. I could see that. I could see that. I think if anything, Rice is the one that might be. Less yeah. than a touchdown. Yeah, fair point. Glad that one is in the Alba Dome, for sure. Very much but so. Yeah, it's set up nicely for UTSA. They're playing their best football at the right time of the year to be playing your best football. They're getting healthier. Uh, you know, I, I hear Dan Dishman could be back soon. Mackay Hart waiting the wings. So, they, I mean, they just take care of the business. They're in a really good spot heading into uh, Black Friday in New Orleans. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Dude, we're striding. We are striding. This team yep. is firing on all cylinders, Jared. 
The offense looks fantastic. The defense looks fantastic. And it's not just one unit doing it. It's not just Frank Harris and the receivers scoring all the points. You're getting involvement from the running backs. You're getting it from the offensive line play. Line of scrimmage Mm -hmm. has really just been dominated throughout the AAC play so far. And then on the defense, you're seeing the pass rush now being a complement to what the secondary is able to do. They're feeding off of that pass rush dominance. And so – in every single phase, I mean, hell, we talk about Lucas Dean and Chase Allen. We also we also return the ball pretty decently against FAU on our on our kickoff returns and punt returns. So, I mean, right. it's it's really all the boxes, man. Every single mm-hmm. position group is playing their best football, and now it's a matter of staying in this mode right here. Like we were talking about earlier, we don't know what the hell happened over that you know two weeks of of the bye week uh, in between that race facility what was being said, what what Alamo Audible quotes were being plastered onto the walls <laughs> as receipts for, Jer- yeah. uh, for, for Jeff Trailer, um, But he did verify <laughs> that there are receipts all over the race facility, folks. So be careful what you tweet because it just might end up on the weight room wall while Frank Harris is hitting his squats, dude. So uh, be careful. I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, though, because they were like, oh, yeah, we, we were pulling the receipts and laughing at them this week. I was like, let's let's pump the brakes here. You guys aren't even bowl eligible yet. Right. He hasn't accomplished anything, really. We just got over 500. Right? So <laughs> I'm I'm saying that's some cheese eating taking place. I have seen a much more jubilant mm-hmm. demeanor amongst this team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Press, in the press conferences, on the social medias, in the locker rooms. We want to see it. We love to see it. But we've got to stay hungry. Jeff Taylor yeah. keeps saying we got to stay pissed off. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I think he's right because I'd imagine a big reason why they played so well in October is because they had a point to prove after September. If there was no chip on the shoulder in September, there was one after losing three games during that month. Right. And right. they had something to, to turn around. Jeff Taylor keeps saying, stay pissed off. We got to stay pissed off. And I think he's got some credence there, man. You know? Yeah, and it's important. It's important to keep in mind too. I mean, I I think a lot of the fan base is just looking at these next um, four games as as layups essentially. Licking you got to keep in mind this is not this is not Conference USA. I mean, I know East Carolina uh, is not playing well. Rice is stumbling here and there. They lost to UConn, South Florida. I don't even know what happened over there. Uh, but all those guys have way better players on their roster than some of those bottom teams in Conference USA. So if the Roadrunners show up with a sense of entitlement, they don't bring their best each week, they're going to get upset. Dude, I, mean, I love that. Not, yeah, this is not FIU. This is not, you know, Middle Tennessee or whoever. I mean, these, these guys yeah. have some dogs on them for sure. Dude, I, and, and, and I love that you bring this up because Jeff Trailer brought this up during his press conference and said, look, man, we were 11-0 going to Denton two years ago. Mm-hmm. We got our asses whipped. Mm-hmm. Right. And in a game that we should have won. And it's because of that entitlement. It's because they were sitting too high, sitting too pretty after winning 11 straight games. That'll happen. And uh, I, I think this team does have to stay angry. They, they they have to remember the way that they felt in September after those losses in order to keep the dominance up. I think you got to change DMGB to DMSP. Don't matter. Stay pissed. <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> Even if we're like winning, that. we're winning, we're breaking records. And, and you know, here, here, here's the truth, right? I, like, I know the team's fired up. They've had three good performances in a row. 
you know, they're, they're winning their games. They have a winning record now, but the truth is no one is giving them a chance to win this conference right now. Nobody myself, myself included, to be frank. So I hope they don't think like, Oh, we've proved the haters wrong. Right. Like when, you know, we're just going to go do our thing, whatever we're pulling the receipts. Like, no, there's still a lot to be proven and you got to take care of business the next four weeks to, to give the opportunity to disprove people. The latest analytics from Brett McMurphy, I believe, had UTSA is only 16% to win the AAC behind Tulane, uh, SMU. And I think Memphis was also in front of UTSA on that list. Interesting. Yeah. So, no, man. And and, and the pundits outside of San Antonio, they're all going to be saying the same thing. They haven't played anybody. And and the good teams that they did play, they didn't win. And so that that's probably what, you know, non-affiliated UTSA watchers, UTSA viewers, that's that's going to be their sentiment right now. It is what it is. You got to keep winning. And even if ECU and UNT don't prove to be, you know, super formidable opponents, you got to go in there and take care of business, handle business against them. Because yeah, absolutely. If, if you have one loss in that conference column, when you go to Tulane, it does not matter. You've got to be spotless when you go to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. When, when you look at SMU schedule, there's no room for error. They they have to be undefeated in the conference going into New Orleans. Because even if even yeah, I mean if they if they lose that game to Tulane, there's pretty much no chance they're gonna get into the conference championship. I mean, it would be a huge upset if any of the teams on SMU schedule beat them from here on out. Right. Right. So UTSA, man, but they are in control of their own destiny once again, Jared. Yep. 3-0 striding in American athletic play. Opened up as 19-point favorites against an ECU team. And it's not too good. Like, could you imagine? Um, we're we're gonna head. We're gonna head. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a future on shot and we'll go into ECU preview. We'll take a awesome. break as well. <laughs> but thank you to our board of trustees members, Digitique, John Elbow, Lino Perez of Los Dos Redding Tailgating. Gary and Ruben representing the UTSA Pro Gang Tailgate, Ray Redding and Mimi Pearl, Brandon Grail and the Grail Realty Group, Andy Elizada Proficient Benefit Solutions, Ian McClendon and Seeker LLC, Brandon Patron, Ryan Squares, Waterman Construction, and Javon Townsend, VP of the DFW Chapter of the UTSA Alumni Association. So yeah, we're going to take a quick coming break and be back in just a second to pick up where we just left off and talking about UTSA being a 19-point favorite over the ECU Pirates. We mentioned it before the break. I'm kind of having a hard time coming to grip with UTSA being a 19-point favorite over ECU, just given how successful that program has been historically. Mm-hmm. Like I just I'm imagining like time traveling back like six or seven years or something. Um and watching ECU go on one of their runs they've been on and just be like, hey, you know, and and six, seven years, whatever, UTSA is gonna be a 19-point favorite. Over the team. This team that's never went to a bowl game. It's true. Maybe never been to a bowl game, depending on how far back you go. Never been ranked. 
at that time had never been to a conference championship. Mm-hmm. It'd be a 19 point favorite over one of the most historically successful teams in the group of five. It's wild, man. We we got we can't take this stuff for granted, man. Seriously. It is fascinating, man. It really, really is. But ECU, that program's in shambles. The fan base is in shambles. I mean, really things are are flipped on their heads right now for the Pirates. And uh, look, I don't think ECU is a 19-point underdog if they don't lose to Charlotte last week. But I think that really sort of solidified, for the odds makers at least, that uh, this is going to be a roll UTSA. And it's in the Alamo Dome. But mm-hmm. ECU, man, they go down 10 to 7 to the Charlotte 49ers at home, which, which mind you, there's 40,000 fans watching 1 in 5 ECU ver- play 1 in 5 Charlotte. 40,000. Crazy, man. 1 in 3 UTSA and 23 grand in there. So, it's just a different dynamic when you have that history of winning of great program. And man, dude, listen to these ECU podcasts, radio shows. I mean, you should hear the the absolute disgust of some of these fans that call in to this show, man. Oh my gosh. It's incredible. It's incredible. And Jared, you were just talking about like UTSA fan, you know, thinks that we're just going to win out going all the way to Tulane and they forget that just last month they were, they were completely writing off this season altogether. Like the frugality of the UTSA fan mm-hmm. were so new, such virgins of being college football fans versus like the seasoned ECU fan who has been, you know, putting up with the Mike Houston regime and like has had enough, enough is enough. Right. They're a lot, very, very objective, but very passionate fan base, man. And um, this is the very first time that they play Charlotte in an, in an in-state matchup in the same conference, I mean, essentially, you know, build this as a future rivalry game, ECU not only considers themselves, but is, in fact, levels ahead of Charlotte from a program standpoint. Mm-hmm. And you go in there and you lose that game at home. I mean, that's like, that. that's really and truly a kick in the gut. Um, something that that program cannot stand will not will not sit through will not stomach um the type of things to to make some heads roll for the pirates just 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 brutal outing and mm-hmm. i'm surprised they lost that game i'm surprised they played that bad because they in their other, won. They, in their other losses goals. yeah well in their other losses they've played a lot better yeah against better teams charlotte going in there and beating them on the road in their first meeting as conference mates really reminds me of when UTSA went to UTEP in 2013 and smoked him in the Sun Bowl. Oh, oh baby. Nothing was ever the same. <laughs> and I'm really curious to see how the Charlotte ECU rivalry plays out. Because like you said, ECU is just so much better resourced than Charlotte. Yeah. But you put them in the same conference together and you get some wins under your belt and, and things can change, man. So I'm definitely keeping my eye on that situation out there in North Carolina. But yeah, um, it's been tough. You know, to your point about heads rolling after a loss like that, I was I, I have been very surprised that they've not fired their offensive coordinator this week. Mm-hmm. Donna Kirkpatrick is hated, yeah, by the fan base, and you know he he had some okay offenses with a really really good quarterback um, 
I think Ayers uh, is a Holden. I always forget his name. Holden Ayers. But they've never been a particularly impressive offense as far as like, you know, creativity goes and play calling stuff like that. And that is really, really showing this year uh, with their struggles on offense. Um, They have not scored 30 points in a game against an FBS opponent this year. Um, And they just look really poorly coached on the offensive side of the ball. Um, It's been rough. And and not only that, but they have a much more qualified offensive coordinator already on staff. They have Donnie Kirkpatrick as a senior analyst. He's been an offensive coordinator. Oh, sorry. Uh, Shane Montgomery uh, as an analyst. Yeah, my bad. Uh, Shane Montgomery has been an offensive coordinator at James Madison, at Charlotte, at Buffalo. Uh, So he could step in this week and probably call a better game than Donnie Kirkpatrick would. Um, that might still happen this week. They might keep it under wraps. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but I, I was just, as I was like watching the scores come through on my phone, I was like, oh yeah, they're going to fire their OC like on the bus. And from what I've seen, it hasn't happened. So it's been surprising. It's really, really surprising, man. Yeah, dude, at this point, they they could very well not beat a single FBS opponent this season. They could go 111 because after UTSA, they got to play Tulane. They got to play FAU. They got to play Navy. They got to play Tulsa. Like there's no handouts. The handout was Charlotte. Yeah. That was the game to win. You could go 111 with your only win being over an FCS school. And Mike Houston's got quite the buyout. I think he's got three years remaining on his contract each Mm -hmm. with a million dollar base salary. They, They ain't buying him out, man. They can clean house with coordinators and, and coaches and stuff, but Mike Hughes is not leaving. And I don't think he should lead. I, I do think he's a good coach. I think that he has maybe fallen a little complacent in his coaching hires or something. Mm. But I do think Mike Houston's a good coach. Because, I mean, this program was in a really bad state before he got there, too. It's worth pointing out. It's true. My thing with ECU is they lost everybody on offense. And they like barely hit the portal at all. They've done. They uh, got. They got uh, Chase Sewell, uh, who was a Colorado transfer. Familiar name for a lot of UTSA fans because UTSA was the first to offer him. I think everyone expected him to commit to UTSA. He ended up going to Colorado, and then when everything went down in Colorado, their coaching and fired. I was just expecting Sewell to transfer to UTSA, and he, I don't know if they ever offered him. He ended up at ECU. He's like been. Maybe the biggest bright spot on offense. He's really come along in his uh, retro freshman campaign. But yeah, um, they didn't go get a transfer quarterback. They had a guy who's been on the bench for like four years there. And they chose to ride with with him, even though he had very limited experience. And uh, that's Mason Garcia, by the way. And Oh, sorry. I think it was Alex Flynn was the one that was there before. Um, So it's Mason Garcia and Alex Flynn. They're still rotating quarterbacks this late in the season. Neither guy is completing over 50% of his passes. It's bleak, man. It's really bleak. Texas State has two transfer quarterbacks on their roster that are better than what ECU has right now. Mm. You got to play the portal game these days, man. It's it's inexcusable. Yeah. Yeah, you got to go in there and get it. I also heard a little bit of grief um, from fans about ECU losing out in the the NIL game. So I don't know if they're uh, not able to entice guys with the NIL dollars. They're not getting that through. But transfer portal, you've got to be able to identify talent and have that quick turnaround. Because this is a team that won a bowl last year. Mm-hmm. It was a team that was eight and five 
2022, seven and five in 2021. So Mike Houston is totally, was totally trending in the right direction, taking mm-hmm. over. But there's just an insane drop off here. It's almost inexplainable. Yeah. All new offensive line, pass blocking has been a real struggle for them as it usually is when you replace that many starters. Big reason why their passing game has a, you know, if you combine both quarterbacks, a three touchdown to eight interception ratio, mm-hmm. which has got to be the worst in the country, I would imagine. Bleak, man. And then if you're an ECU fan and you see what UTSA's defensive front has done these past three games as far as getting to the quarterback, it's got to be scary. Yeah, they are second to last in the American Athletic Conference on scoring offense, 17 points per game. But the other flip side of that is, Jared, is that their, their defense – it's pretty solid. Someone, yeah, defense is no joke. The defense is good. Yeah, they're seventy third in defensive SP plus. So okay. if their offense was average, they would be a really good team. Absolutely, this is a team that probably that probably uh, make maybe beats Rice. They only lost to Rice by a touchdown. Yeah, I was actually at that game here in Houston. That's right, you were at that game. And they I make it a lot like, more interesting against SMU if they could score a little bit more. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, what you know, did you see at that game? I was sitting field level pretty much at that game at Rice Stadium. Um, and that's not a flex because if you've ever been to Rice Stadium, <laughs> you know. Um, but I was really taken aback at how short the defensive line was. Like their secondary players were taller than their defensive linemen. I was like, where, where's, the, where's the size here? Oof. Yeah. Wow. Recruiting shortfall? Or a stylistic choice? I don't know, but it struck me as strange. And um, I don't know. I mean, I guess they've been okay stopping the run. They were going to push around a little bit against Charlotte, right? Um, but that that really stood out to me. But on the flip side, maybe it's because their secondary is tall. And they got some athletic guys, made some some good plays in that game. And I saw it, you know, watching the sicko 90 minute condensed version of the <laughs> charlotte ecu game <laughs> oh man yeah that was not not my proudest moment watching that whole nine minute video um but yeah, i don't know i was, was just overall this team is not as talented as they should be or the program the ecu is the fan base they have the history they have that's yeah. the hardest thing. That's the hardest pill for me to swallow is just like I see so many programs, whether they're in the AAC, the Sun Belt, or or wherever, that don't have the resources that ECU has, but they have much more talented rosters. And um that that's a clear reflection on Mike Houston, I think, right there. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, you hate to see that. Is that a just, you know? An old-fashioned coach stuck in the old-fashioned ways. What is that? What 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 is? I don't know. Keeping yeah, guys poor, from going poor evaluation, yeah. maybe it's mm-hmm. hard to say. I wonder. You know, just a, a theory off the cuff. I'd be curious to hear an ECU fan's perspective on this. But I wonder if, um, when Mike Houston was at James Madison recruiting at the FCS level, um, if he wasn't factoring like measurables into his evaluations that much and maybe now that's kind of backfiring at the AAC level I don't know because when when you've got when you're like top six linemen are all like six one or shorter 
if, I don't know. It's a little, little suspect to me. On the offense, is there anyone that can get it going for ECU? They've got two running backs that I like a lot. Rajay Harris and Javius Bond, both very physical guys. You know, the passing offense pretty much doesn't exist for ECU. It's really, really bad. So for those guys to be as effective as they are, um, given how poor the passing offense is, I think speaks volumes to their ability. Um, They've got a pretty decent tight end as well, whose name escapes me at the moment. That's pretty much it. Oh, and that's Chase Sowell. You know, he's a good player, I'm sure. You know, he. I think he probably came on an official visit to UTSA. He's probably been in the Alma Dome before. Uh, might have had a playoff game there. Now I think about it, I don't know. I think the tight end you're thinking of is Shane Calhoun. That is him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Junior tight end. Yep. Got a couple touchdowns on the season. Yeah. Last thing I'll call out uh, from my notes is when I watched the video of the Charlotte game, ECU ran quarterback power a ton, which I didn't see them run it at all when I watched them play against Rice. So that's definitely a new adjustment they've made to try to um, maybe cover up for some of those deficiencies in the passing game and, and take some pressure off their running backs. But it just was not working very well. Um, neither Flynn nor Garcia are very explosive runners. But it is something that UTSA will need a game plan for and make sure they're prepared for that play. Okay. Well, it's homecoming, Jared. It is homecoming in the Alamo Dome. It's also the reveal of the first ever UTSA Athletics Hall of Fame class. Correct. Correct. And so they're doing something at halftime for that. Is that right? I think so. I'd expect them to. I'd hope them to. It is, I think... Because this is a lot later than I think you, homecoming usually happens at the end of October. Usually it's pretty early in October. This is a team that's now won three games straight. You're finally over 500, four and three. You're hitting your stride. Homecoming week. Um, I don't know how much UTSA fan really recognizes ECU, but they are a historically really great program with a really great fan base. I'd imagine there'll be some ECU fans up in the mix, despite how poor they've been playing. <laughs> they probably canceled their flights, brother. <laughs> you still, still got to look, uh, you can still look forward to a great weekend on the Riverwalk. Right? I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, but I do expect there to be a good Alamo Dome crowd for a homecoming week in this team hitting its peak performance, Jared. I think so. Define, define good. Like, what are your expectations? 25 plus. Okay. I was thinking it would probably be like 24K. We're at 23.8 against UAB. 23,800 for UAB. So homecoming week, I got to imagine gets you another thousand people through the door. You you probably get another thousand students on homecoming alone because they do the reveal, the uh, the court or whatever. Ah, uh, sure. Yeah. The spirit of the Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think 25 and a half, 26K sounds good to me. How do we feel about the Halloween theme for homecoming? Uh, encouraging people to trailer treat in their best costumes on the uh, October, late October. That one might have homecoming. slipped right past me, to be honest with you. I don't remember seeing much about that, but I really love the uh, trailer treat phrase. That's a fun one. I, like I hope the people dress up phrase. like Jeff Trailer. 
<laughs> in the San Antonio tuxedo, as he yeah. calls it. Hell yeah, yeah. Dude. That's awesome. That's a good look right there. With dude. a jar of fish grease. Oh my gosh. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. I think we're out there. We're gonna look good. Um, we again got the streaming slot on ESPN Plus for this one. Mm-hmm. Yep. See if the Roadrunners can keep winning if uh, some of those games can move over to a cable broadcast. I know I know USF is on ESPN2. That's been announced. Yeah, and then uh, Tulane will be on either ESPN or ABC. Of course. But I think, you know, you could have a UTSA versus Rice game that ends up being a lot of fun, a great matchup. Could be, yeah. Give me some of that. Give me some of that on the cable. Well, Jared. Well, Adrian, what's your score prediction for this one? We both sound uh, pretty convinced of the Roadrunners' chances. but Yeah, you know, I mean, you beat UAB by 21. You beat FAU by 26. I think it'd be disrespectful to say that they can't beat ECU by 19, which is the spread from Vegas. So give me just that. Give me a 38 to 10 win for the Roadrunners. I'm going a little bit tighter in my spread. I got UTSA 35, ECU 13. Ooh. I feel like there's going to be some kind of shakeup for ECU this week after um, putting up seven points against Charlotte. I don't know what that'll be, but I feel like they're going to find some way to move the ball a little bit better this week, even though UTSA's defense is, is pretty good. Um, yeah, I, didn't, I don't know. 19 points is a lot. 22 points is a lot. It's hard. It's hard to do that week in and week out against FBS opponents. So Roadrunners are striding, Jared. They're striding. Of course. of course, but football's a funny game, Adrian. You know, you know how it goes. I do know how it goes. I do know how it goes. Yeah, I think uh, either way, UTSA takes care of business big time. And then, Jared, we look forward to the most hated North Texas Mean Green in freaking Denton, Texas. It'll be a good one. Yep. That North Texas team's getting better each week. They're striding as well, I'd say. What I'm most curious, though, of will UTSA show up in the Alamo Dome for homecoming in the Hispanic Heritage Helmets designed by our creative director, Aaron Livingston. They wore them in Boca Raton. The uniform reveal comes out at the rec pool, and boom, the Hispanic Heritage Helmet is still being worn. Absolutely incredible. Love to see it. It's such a good look. I even saw tweets calling for it to become a permanent fixture or to at least wear for the entire uh, remainder of October. Give it to me. It is Hispanic Heritage Month all month long. Sign me up. Um, If you guys like the Hispanic Heritage Helmets, we have got a really, really fantastic, exciting Patreon bonus episode this week. Coming tomorrow, we will have our creative director, Aaron Livingston himself, on the podcast to discuss the making of the Hispanic Heritage Helmet. 
don't miss, can't miss. The exclusive behind the scenes story. And it's Aaron's birthday. We're bringing him on the pod on his birthday. Yeah, it's like, like his second ever pod appearance. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's had a couple more. I don't know. He's been our graphics guy since we started this whole thing. He's got a better mic set up than either of us do. So, it's got all... <laughs> yeah, we need to, we need to leverage his uh, podcast appearance more often. Get that smooky, uh, sorry, I said smooky. I'm, I'm going to say silky and smooth audio. Yeah, I have a bad habit of like mushing two words together. I was compared to like if you're playing basketball. And like you can't decide if you should do a layup or a jump shot, so you like kind of half-ass both of them. I do that with words all the time. It's bad. My wife tries to make me feel better, and she's like, "Oh, it's because you have a large vocabulary. You have too many options to use." I was like, "Okay, that's a, that's a nice way to say I'm an idiot. That's cool." Smart people problems. No, highly intellectual problems right there. Yeah, so whatever. All right, we'll get out of here. Thank you guys for listening this week. Uh, if you're an ECU fan, man, I'm sorry you guys are going through this. Y'all deserve better. Thanks for checking us out and uh, glad to be sharing a conference with y'all. Thank you to our big money donors on Patreon Ben Tovar, the Bunch family, Zach Esperquetta on the San Antonio Podcast Network, the Flex family, Alejandro Benavides, Dan Nerd Hall, the host of Around the Birdbath, Jacob Cabazzo is board president for the UTC Alumni Association, Maddie and Bandy, Jenna and Nancy and Zadul. Rick Cortez of Ready Road Grillers and Homefield Apparel, where you can use the discount code U2C1's Homefield to get 15% off your first purchase. Later!